0: This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show.
1: Another season, another comprehensive dismantling of Manchester United. For so many of us who grew up in the 1990s, that's a feeling that will never get old, I can promise you that. So, put the kettle on, grab your Alan Kernighan and Buster Phillips bobbleheads, stick them next (laughs) to your inflatable banana and relax. We're going to enjoy this one. Welcome to today's Blue Moon podcast, where we're going to discuss the key points from that victory at Old Trafford. We'll look at the roles played by Bernardo Silva and John Stones, especially after both helped City run the show in the derby. But we'll also save some time to look at the gulf that's emerged between the two teams. It's Bournemouth up next with young boys in midweek two, so we'll preview both of those games and we'll have some help from Sam from the Bournemouth podcast back of the net a bit later on. That's all to come, but first we're going to savour the events of last weekend. Let the next 60 to 90 minutes of birting commence. I'm David Mooney, with me for this episode is City fan Kieran Murray. Hello. And City fan and OneFootball's Dan Burke.
2: Old Trafford is falling down. <laughs> there we go. Good
1: to get that in early. Well, I, I mean, Kieran's knocked himself over as well. So uh, <laughs>
3: No, it, it wasn't me. Um must be Storm Kieran out there causing some havoc.
2: That was a coin that, <laughs> that fell out of my pocket though. Oh,
1: was it? Oh, it was, yeah. on, it was on your line, was it, Dan? Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I barely need to ask, there, but uh, I assume you both had a pretty good week, Dan.
2: Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... The the post derby buzz was just sort of wearing off. And then um I enjoyed United getting their asses handed to them again <laughs> on Wednesday night. So it's just yes. it's just fantastic at the moment, isn't it? Just, I, I don't, it is, is United being shit arguably better than City being good?
1: <laughs> I mean that's sometimes a, that's, I think it is. It, it's yeah. it's a shout. I mean the, the other side of it is Karen, is our friend Alex has said, and he's absolutely bang on, uh, we're we're blessed because we've won the lottery once with City being good and then won it again with United being crap.
3: Oh, it's unbelievable! It's burnt heaven, isn't it? Um, what 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 a time to be alive as a city fan! It's just it's great. You you just watch you just watch us kind of ascend and descend and and ascend and, ascend and uh, watch the 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 other ones just kind of like get lower and lower and lower and it's disaster after disaster and their roof is leaking as well. So uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's great.
1: Yeah. You know, I did uh, I did a preview of the game, Dan, on uh, Sunday morning with a United fan who said, uh, who genuinely said that, that uh, they didn't understand why more people didn't have sympathy for what United were experiencing. And, <laughs> you know, it took all my will not to laugh. It took all my will.
2: I mean, how could you not understand that really? <laughs> to, to, to be fair, like a lot of the United fans I know kind of do understand and I've have, have pretty much taken the L over over the years quite well, I think. And just, you know, they knew how insufferable they were when they were successful and the sort of, you know, feeling the effects of that now, I think, um, with people rubbing it in with all the schadenfreude. And, and rightly so, that's, uh, that's what makes football so compelling, I think. And uh, yeah, long may it continue.
1: Yeah, well, uh, let's uh, let's flag down a black cab and head over to Schadenfreude Avenue. Um, <laughs> we're we're going to do that now. But first, for the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised city fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King has launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals and competition competitions throughout the season they've already given away champions league final tickets and signed shirts too so you don't want to miss out drop them a follow on instagram and you won't just be the first to know about all of this you'll also be helping out the blue moon podcast as well um let's start then with uh, kind of the overall picture kieran because uh, i had felt in the weeks certainly leading up to the international break with wolves and arsenal uh, like city were hitting a little bit of a sticky patch and you know what there's if there's any sort of tonic to that it's dismantling United at Old Trafford, isn't it? Oh yes.
3: Um, really, just just feels like we are beginning to see this city starting to purr a little bit. It feels like Haaland is finding his shooting boots again. Uh, although he did miss a few chances in in the Derby, but yeah, he's not um, he's not
1: quite got his head in head yet, has he? he yeah,
3: that <laughs> might be. <it>. Yeah, <laughs> um, he he needs to take the hair bubble out and give himself a <laughs> shake like he did at or- against Arsenal. Um, yeah it's it was it was a little bit of a sticky patch i think Rodri's absence was was really truly felt and now his return is also really truly felt uh what he offers and how he knits everything together is just um he's indispensable really and uh, yeah so it's good to have him back i thought he was brilliant in the derby um and I mean it's it's mad to think that we're a one-man team surely not but uh, without him we were we were in a bit of a funk I think and it's yeah it seems to be over but I mean time will tell because of the fixture list um, coming up very soon but um, yeah it was it was a true dismantling and it was um, yeah it was all city, and it was it was tremendous to watch
1: yeah Dan were you expecting it to be as one-sided as it ended up being?
2: Yes I was actually because uh, I think it's <laughs> arguably the worst United side we've faced certainly in, in the in the post Ferguson era era and I, I really had none of the usual nerves going into the game I, I sort of felt like a maybe sort of like died and hadn't realised or something. I just had to, I just didn't really feel anything going into the game. And, you know, even when we've won there convincingly in the past, I, I feel like it's been a lot more tense sort of in going into the game, during the game. Like I could have been watching country file, you know, I don't, I don't think my heart rate really sort of changed at all at any point during the game. And then when the, when the team sheets came out, I thought we've got to win this. You know, you look at that, you know, obviously United have got a few injuries at the moment, but you look at that defence they put out and it's just like, come on, this is, this is an open goal for us really. And, you know, even United had a few sort of early attacks, early forays forward. I don't think we started particularly wonderfully, but even so, it sort of felt like, you know, we're sort of playing a, a lower league team in the cup and they're having a go and you're sort of <laughs> thinking like, come on, we'll, let's just let's just ride this out a little bit, let them have the fun and then we'll we'll take control of the game. And it was like that. And even if they'd scored, I think I would have fancied us to come, come back and win it quite comfortably. And it, it was so comfortable in yeah, I, I feel like you could replay that game a thousand times with with those teams and City win that game every single time. Yeah. And even even after the game, I didn't really feel as sort of like buzzing or, or rele- relieved as I was, because it's just another three points at this point, isn't it? It's not a, a big game for us particularly anymore, aside from sort of local rivalry and that kind of thing. And, if any United fans listen to this, think that sounds arrogant. Then just remember that we're not arrogant; we're just better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, Karen, for you, is that is is that the biggest difference between these sides since City were crap? Uh, possibly,
3: yeah. I, it's a funny one actually because I, I wasn't nervous before the game, but my heart was racing the whole way through it. City um, so did get off to a bit of a dodgy start, as Dan said, and. and United had a few chances, which were kind of born out of City mistakes. Really, um, Guardiola sort of tripped over, and Foden
1: played a, a completely cracking crack through ball. That wasn't it. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous sort of <laughs> that's, hospital pass. Yeah, best pass United had all game, though.
3: Yeah, for sure. And then there was the, the Rashford chance in the second half I think. So there were times, and like even though I kind of knew you on paper, I mean, what are they doing, starting with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans at, at, <laughs> the, at the heart of their defense? Back? <laughs> That, that's absolutely mental. Like, um, it's on like, negligence, doesn't it? That? It does, <laughs> yeah. But like, wasn't Johnny Evans just brought back to kind of be an old head and with for the reserves or something? Like, um, I heard that he hasn't played in a Manchester derby since 2012.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I love the idea that he walked in on kind of like Saturday or Sunday, whenever whenever Ten Hag handed the teams out and put the team sheet up, and uh, like it just kind of did a double take was like me.
4: Yeah. You, want,
3: you want me in
1: there? <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so, Could have been a different game if they'd had the butcher.
3: That's it. That's <laughs> he who might have made missing. the difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would have uh, leapt up to stop those Highland headers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I I was still uh, that the Derby just gets the adrenaline pumping, doesn't it, and get gets the heart racing. Um, so annoyingly, I think they had a few chances, um, but on paper, this was just a horrific united side um and you you couldn't have expected city to do anything other than win and it is funny that it's just another three points um cuz the the gulf is the gulf is incredible now um and it, it it almost annoys me a little bit well it annoys me a lot that they beat us last season because there should be there should be just no kind of blot on our copybook in
1: derbies these days because we're we'll just head and shoulders above them. Yeah. Well, uh, let's look a little bit more into that because City have had some big results at Old Trafford lately and a few times, Sunday probably included, the result hasn't been as big as the difference between the teams on the pitch. Don Farrell's been looking at how the gap has become so big.
5: After the win in the derby on Sunday... Pep Guardiola was asked if he could have imagined that there would be the chasm that now exists between City and United. I know what
4: we have done. I don't know what United have done because I'm not here. So, but I didn't expect it, honestly, when I arrived here with uh, Jose Mourinho, with Ibrahimovic, with, uh, you know, with the top, top players.
5: His outline of what City have been doing so well might also serve as a guide for what United should be
4: doing better. We are in the same direction. The chairman, the CEO, the sport director, the manager and the players. You know, we go there. Wrong or right, it doesn't matter, but we go there. We are doing it since the day one. The first season we didn't win. I didn't feel that my chairman complained, absolutely not. They support me unconditionally. Uh, I remember when we lost the final Champions League in Chelsea, we were devastated. <laughs> I was, and the chairman said, we're going to win it. Sooner or later we're going to win it. What do you have to do next? Come on, let's go, legs next. And when that's happened, we are not incredible, overexcited when we win and when we lose. It's not dramatic, it's not we're going to kill ourselves. No, okay, it's a football game, what do you have to do to get him better?
5: And while City have been stable, United have been less so. City's win on Sunday was Guardiola's seventh at Old Trafford since he joined the club. And Erik Ten Hag is the fourth United manager he's faced. The Dutchman was also asked about the gulf between the teams.
4: Of course, it's disappointed, eh? but yeah, when you lose the Derby and then in the way we lose, yeah, that is, is disappointed.
6: What do you say to fans who are going away from the stadium today, wondering how you can get anywhere close to Manchester City? You made progress last year, everybody knows that. But this year it does seem to have gone backwards and City just seem so far away from where you are.
4: Yeah, but when you see first half, it's toe-to-toe. So I think, yeah, from chances, it was very toe-to-toe. And it was also the previous games against them. Uh, in the FA Cup final and in January, it uh, was very, very close, and even the chances, uh, so the probability we could have been was uh, was also there in all the games.
5: But if United have been as close as he says, why has City been far more consistent?
4: Have a listen to this. I think in the first half, <laughs> we deserve to be losing, and in the second half, we don't deserve to be to be losing. So clearly, disappointed with the first half, disappointed with some really poor individual performances and in the second half, uh, very pleased with with many things, disappointed with the result and disappointed with two very important decisions from uh, Mark that um, were against us. That was Jose
5: Mourinho's assessment of his first Manchester derby. It was Guardiola's first two, when City won 2-1 at Old Trafford in September 2016. This is what the City manager thought at the time. They played these
4: long balls and diagonals and to win that ball is almost impossible. But with this kind of balls, when (laughs) you lose the balls, you are going to suffer. When you win the balls, like there are too many, many, many players in front, you you have the challenge to make the counter-attacks. And we had many. With three against three or four against three or five against four. So we we didn't finish. And and it's happened similar in Stock City, similar in, in West Ham. You finish this action, so you're going to suffer until the end. Today we were lucky. Maybe one day we were not lucky.
5: Guardiola knew he couldn't rely on individual quality in decisive moments to win games. Just over a year later, City went to Old Trafford and won 2-1 again, but this time it put them 14 points clear of United at the top of the table. This was what Guardiola had to say after that
4: one. We control the. the, the we know United is real good in the counterattack. When you defend in the box, when the long balls, they are stronger. But today. I think Nico Tamendi again and, and Vincent and, and Mangala, the, the last 30 minutes was outstanding. It's not easy to come in in that situation, especially Fernandinho. They won all the balls, the long balls. They were so aggressive, we won a lot of second balls. We spoke about that We defend Bell. The, run, the moments are running behind, they attack, the, they attack the channel, we control good. And uh, when we won, is a more extra 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 passes, we did it.
5: Another year later, the gap between the teams had opened even further. City won 3 1 at the Etihad in November in what would be Mourinho's final Manchester derby before he was sacked. Jose, you're now
2: as close to Cardiff as you are to Manchester City. Is this effectively the title
4: over? I think we are not going to be relegated. I agree.
2: Defensively, uh, was that. was Any
4: questions for the same one?
0: Yeah, can we move on?
5: <laughs> Even though Mourinho's replacement, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, managed to win a few derbies, the direction of travel was still obvious. One derby that stood out, even in a season when City were below par, was the League Cup tie at Old Trafford in January 2020. City won 3-1, but it could have been much more.
7: We were running in between, the pressure didn't
5: work, we let them play and our heads dropped. We just made decisions that we shouldn't do and from their goal till half-time, yeah, it's the worst that we played. Before then, the could have gone either way goal, but that doesn't matter now. City didn't win the title that season, but it's the only one of the past six where they didn't finish as champions. Since Guardiola's been at City, his side has earned 145 more points than United. That consistent high performance from the team culminated in last season's treble, which also involved beating United in the FA Cup final, with Ilkay Gündoğan scoring after 13 seconds.
4: It's the best way to start the final, knowing that there still is 89 minutes or more than 90 minutes left, but of course this is important. I think in general we played a really really good game, we played with a lot of risk because the threat they have at at front is so big, but we control it really well. City have
5: come a long way, while United have at best stagnated. When Guardiola took over, the two teams had finished 4th and 5th in the table the season before, separated only by goal difference. In the time since, both have spent similar amounts of money on building their squads, but City have had a strategy and a coach with a clear vision. Even Guardiola had a little fun with that when he was asked about a potential United resurgence last season. We've got used to this season Arsenal being your main rivals,
1: Liverpool for the last three or four seasons. Do you think that United are going to be on that level sort of
4: from the rest of the season onwards? Yeah, they're going to spend a little bit more money, yeah. (laughs) Because you didn't spend, isn't it?
5: <laughs> it's been two very different journeys for City and United over the past seven years, and the gulf between them has never been more obvious than the game they played last Sunday. The tables have turned completely in Manchester. It was once City who would win the odd battle, and United would win the war. But now, it's the other way around entirely.
6: Um, you listen to the Blue
2: Moon podcast.
6: Blue Moon- Podcast,
2: podcast,
6: Pod, podcast, podcast, yeah, that's podcast, That's the one. I am. You I'm want Dennis, me to say yeah, I'm, yeah, Dennis exactly. I'm, and I'm Dennis Law? Dennis yeah. listening to the
4: Blue Moon
6: podcast. Okay, all right. I'm Dennis Law, and you listen to the Blue Man. <laughs> Hang on, do it again. I'll try again. try okay. again. Okay, I'm Dennis Law, and we're listening to the Blue Moon <laughs> podcast.
5: Enjoy it. This is the
0: Blue Moon podcast. Listen to it. Drink it in.
1: That was a look there from Dom at uh, kind of how the tide has turned in Manchester. Dan, when you were growing up, um, did you ever imagine this could have happened? Like in your wildest dreams, <laughs> did you ever think that? Like, like you probably thought United knocked off the perch by somebody else, but you didn't think it'd be City, surely?
2: Perhaps absolutely not. No, I mean, you talk about the golfing class. I, I wonder if it's been as big since since the, the last sort of time it has been sort of this big was when they beat us. Uh, one nil when Stuart Pierce was manager. You know, Derise for sale missed the penalty. Yeah. Uh, Ronaldo got sent off. Uh, sorry, Michael Ball got sent off for stamping on Ronaldo. I mean, in those days, one of our players
1: got retrospectively banned because he won Did the he? penalty. Yeah, yeah, he won the penalty. Oh, for, that's right, actually. Sale. Yeah.
2: I mean, back in those days, one of our players committing GBH on a United player was, was sort of a victory in itself on it. That was about as good as it got really. And there's, there's been a video going around uh, on on Twitter from that game of the fans singing Blue Moon, trying to get behind the team, you know, a massive noise. And, and in those days it felt like, like our, the 12th man was our most important player in those games. And, and we really needed to, to show up and support the team and, and really get behind them. Nowadays, I feel like we can just sort of sit back and relax with our, our opera glasses on and just, just watch it unfold. And, you know, the idea when I was growing up up when we were growing up, the idea of going to Old Trafford and winning just felt impossible, pretty much, until it actually happened in that, that 2009 game. But even that felt like a bit, of a bit of an outlier at the time. And, you know, there's the, the famous Ferguson quote saying, not in my lifetime, City will, will go into a derby as favourites, which has really come back to haunt him. But to be fair, like, I, its hubris at the time was understandable because what, whatever City were going to do, you know, with the with the takeover and the, the investment, it just felt United were always going to be there regardless. But, uh, you know, what Eric Binbag said... Eras come to an end, <laughs> don't they?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Karen, for you, um, because obviously you, uh, we've talked on this podcast before about how you feel sometimes. Um, that, uh, like, like you don't want to be seen as a as, as like a new fan because you mm. were growing up in Ireland and you were very much a City fan as a kid in in mm-hmm. Ireland. Um, do you get an extra sense of satisfaction? Because I mean there's there are, I don't want to pander to stereotypes here, but you must have come across a lot of United fans when you were younger. <laughs>
3: oh, a million percent. You are pandering to, like the stereotypes are absolutely uh, appropriate there. Like basically all my cousins are United fans. Um everybody I grew up with, particularly in primary school, huge United fans. Um and I just never felt I could I could truly heart and soul go with them. So it was you know, it was really refreshing and nice to support the underdog. And I, I said city were at the time, and um, I've talked about this before, but like after every derby, my phone just used to ring off the hook, or or you know, with text messages from from my older cousins and and you know, lads from school and stuff. Um, was it the Michael Owen derby where you uh, had to give it your
1: sister and just said, "Don't, yeah.
3: don't give it me <laughs> back for it. a couple of yeah, days." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned my phone off and, and just because I would have thrown it at, at the kind of at the. Optics behind the bar <laughs> uh, Yeah, so I, I gave it to Our Ashlyn and told her to look after my phone for a bit Because it was just I just knew it was going to be unbearable, it was already Unbearable being in a pub full of United fans For that Owen Derby um, So it's it's beyond satisfying Now, it's, and, and you know, people will look At kind of how we've, it's hardly been A fairy tale, how we've gone about kind of getting Here, um, but you know As Alex said, their kind of Downfall coinciding with with Our sort of uprising um, never in a, a million years could I have imagined it. it. you know it wasn't it wasn't in any way why I kind of felt myself gravitating towards city as a child. It was, but you know because they were sort of I don't know unfashionable and and they were the underdogs and they were the kind of lesser team in the city who everybody else was uh, uh, you know sort of attaching themselves to. So um, it's it, it really is kind of pinch yourself stuff um, that we're not only kind of, you know, like treble holders and um, winning all these things with unbelievable players and an unbelievable manager, but just the fact that the, the gap is, is widening and widening and widening every single season. Um, And their fortunes, they're just in turmoil. Um, And, it, you know, as Dan kind of said, we, we, we barely even needed to turn up on, on Sunday. <laughs> and we steamrolled them like...
0: And under every manager, just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
1: I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, this week, Dan, who's a Sunderland fan and, he's, and he made the point that um, like the thing that City have got right that United just can't seem to get their head around at the moment is that there are three aspects to City's success and two of them people just ignore and write off because of the first one. The first one's obviously the money that City have and the, the ability they have to go out and get the best players. But at the same time, they have a strategy and that is someone who is, who is targeting players and deciding when to go with transfers, when to walk away, that sort of thing. You look at the transfers City make, they very Mm. rarely get them wrong. And uh, the second one is they've got a manager with a clear vision. And okay, Guardiola is the best in the business and you're not going to get better than him. But if you have all three of those prongs together, then you're almost untoppable. And at the minute, you look at what United have have had over the last few years. As Dom kind of outlined in that feature there, they've gone from, from pillar to post of having this guy and this guy and this guy. And they've thrown money at this problem, this problem, this problem, but just with no strategy whatsoever. And the longer that goes on, the gap just gets bigger, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and perhaps the best thing about it is that of all the clubs that can complain about City spending money buying success or whatever United can't do that because they've spent more money than us in in recent years and and it's just been a series of terrible decisions from them you know a lack of a lack of structure or lack of uh leadership at, at the top level of the club combined with so many good decisions made by City and us really sort of hammering in in this infrastructure and and really building the club up and you know like we said the shifting of sands couldn't have been timed more perfectly and I remember you know growing up United were always lauded for being this forward-thinking business having a great infrastructure you know they were there at the 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 uh the epoch of the Premier League and all that kind of thing and and you know, reap the rewards of that. And we could never even dream of that. And we were a shambles and, you know, all that kind of thing. And I think United got really complacent about that. And that's been their biggest problem. And, you know, you look at stuff that City have done, like the multi-club ownership, like, like it or not, it's a really clever idea. And it's the kind of thing that United might have come up with in the past when they were a bit more forward thinking and would have been praised praised for it. And, you know, we're just running rings around them on and off the pitch now. And I think it's, we have been lucky getting Pep in a, in a huge way I think you know he he's been fundamental to our success in recent years and I think a lot of united's problems could be solved by having a world class manager who knows exactly how to build a team and will actually Coach the players. I I kind of thought when Ten Hag came in that he that he might be that. And so far, you know, I think he, he did all right last season. So far this season, it's not looking great at all. He might be out the door um, very soon if he's not careful. And I, I think thankfully, if if they do get rid of him, there's no one else of that caliber out there at the moment that that uh, you know could really come in and and, and change things significantly. And I, I've often wondered, at, you know, I think it's a, a quite commonly held theory theory that the um, when we won the title in 2012, the Aguero goal against QPR, of course. I wonder if that was a bit of a sort of slide indoors moment in football, because I think had we, had we not won that title, had United won that title, Ferguson might have retired that summer. I might have thought, I've done enough now. Um, I'll hand it over to someone else. United might have hired Pep Guardiola. The whole era after that could have been completely different, which doesn't bear thinking about really. As it was, we won that title. Ferguson thought, oh, I'm going to stick around and show them win this title back. A bit selfishly, perhaps. And... Uh, David Moyes came in and the rest is history, isn't it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, just kind of bringing us back round to the game, Kieran, uh, there was one moment in the game where it, it kind of stood out the, the, the problems that United have uh, both on and off the pitch. And it was it's a really small moment. City got a free kick towards the end. It might have been 3-0 by this stage. It might have only been 2-0. Um, and Gradiol stood over it. And Fernandez just wouldn't move from in front of it. And the referee is telling him, get back, get back. And uh he's just kind of like throwing his arms up in a strop and just being really arsy about it all. Um and Gradiol's just going, Well, I'm not taking this till you move back, and it's your time mm. you're wasting. And he's just still stood there, wasting his own time. And it just kind of it, it kind of sums up the petulance of the of, of of kind of how everything feels at United at the moment. So
3: you think that was symbolic of
1: like they they kind of what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, it just kind of sums up where the club is at. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah.
3: I mean, well, if the fact the, he's
2: the captain. does doesn't it? Club he, captain, is, Yeah. And yeah.
3: um, it's just, it's nice that, isn't it? Like, cause we just have so much more in game intelligence, such better players with better temperaments. And, um, and we will sort of play to the beat of our own drum. And, you know, you can stand there and whine and moan and be, be petulant. And, um, United fans would have in the you know in the past couple of seasons looked at him as being their kind of like their shining light in and amongst an awful lot of darkness, but they've got to be looking at him now, going, He represents us. He's our captain and he's he's ter- like oh, the, the only I mean I only really watch United twice a season in the derbies, but every single time I see him, he's throwing his arms around, he's he's yearning about something. Um he's just an absolute whinge. Um and I, I, I just said you're so far ahead of that in every single thing they do, whether on the pitch or off the pitch. If if that's all you have is to stand on the block of free kick because you're so out of ideas and you're so clueless and that's your contribution. I mean, yeah, you're right. It does sum it up. Now that I've understood what you meant, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: let's have a look at some of the key incidents from the game, and we'll start with the first one that you, uh, United were unhappy with uh, the penalty. Now, um, I've been doing a little bit of a of a look at City's penalties at Old Trafford uh, because since the last penalty at Old Trafford, which was before the Premier League started, by the way, the seventh of April, nineteen ninety-two, uh, City have been relegated three times and promoted three times, with thirteen <laughs> permanent managers and six chairmen um they've there's been seven new uk prime ministers eight general elections oasis were formed they had seven studio albums eight uk number one singles and they broke up noel then had four (laughs) studio albums and liam had three plus two more with bdi as well um Two actors have started and ended their runs as James Bond over nine films. Uh, 695 episodes of The Simpsons have been made and broadcast. Every single text message up till about four o'clock on Sunday has been sent. The last penalty City had at Old Trafford before Sunday was before the invention of the text message. (laughs) Uh, There there were only four non-subscription TV channels to watch in the UK. And uh, of the current squad, only Scott Carson, Kyle Walker, and Kevin De Bruyne had been born. Um, so Dan, nice to get one. <laughs> yeah, very much so.
2: Yeah, I think the uh, the roof at Old Trafford was the same back in 1992. Though. That was about the only thing that's uh, that's remained constant. Uh, yeah, that, that hole in the roof. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean. It's hard to think of many occasions where we've probably deserved a penalty at Old Trafford. I remember one in the 6-1, Michael Richards getting poleaxed. I think it was only the fact that we were 3-0 up or whatever that he, that he wasn't given. Yeah, uh, you know, he, it you did a that, that weird
1: thing with his hands. Yeah.
2: yeah, he did, yeah. That weird, like, strange hand gesture. Um, but yeah, I can't really think of many other occasions where um, we've probably deserved one. So uh, yeah, it was long overdue, sure.
1: Yeah. Now maybe I'm deluded, but I just cannot see why anyone is upset at that. It's like it's <laughs> it, it's it's just simply a penalty, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I was only surprised it was given because fouls like that are so rarely punished. You know, you, like people sort of bang on about. It. Oh, you see that like, all the time. You'd get five penalties a game if all of those were punished. Well, yeah, that's how it should be because it was a foul, and there's there's no two ways about it. You know, he's he's blocked the rod, he's dragged him back. You know, he stopped Rodri from potentially getting on the end of the ball on the end of the cross. It's he wasn't even,
1: he wasn't even marking Rodri so like he's seen the danger and gone right I better do something about that
2: yeah and this whole thing about oh you'd get five penalties a game if they, they were all given that Maguire one on Harland in the second mm. half was probably worse and I, we probably didn't get that because we got the first one maybe if we'd not got the first one we might have got that but you know if, if the penalty was soft and I, I don't think it was then um, all I will say is at least we've finally got justice for that uh, phantom penalty in 1996 at Old Trafford <laughs> Mikhail yeah. Fonsec yeah. that ghost has finally been put to rest
1: it wasn't that soft was it um, <laughs> no uh, Kieran, um, what do you think of Haaland's finish for? It doesn't matter as long as he scores, but you know he's uh, he's not the cleanest of hits, is it?
3: I, I said this last season about Haaland I, I, um, on penalties. It's, I don't like ever watching them in slow motion after they've happened because you really do see <laughs> that he kind of like, he half scoffs them
1: every time. Um, I, I,
5: again, what, what, yeah, is it,
1: what is it about penalties? Because Aguero... Aguero like, as good as he was, never felt confident with him on a penalty. Now, Haaland, at the moment, I do feel pretty confident. It was, mm. He's missed one, is it, against Bayern? Is that it? Um, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. But, like...
2: like He missed against uh, he, Sheffield United this oh, season. Oh, yeah, yeah he, he yeah, missed yeah, one league. You know, yeah, um, finally...
1: And But then you think of, like, Aguero, you think of uh, of Tevez as well. Tevez couldn't hit a penalty properly. I mean, Tevez couldn't shoot properly either, and he still scored <laughs> as many as he did. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's clearly not a necessity. But, like you say, it's just a bit uncomfortable at times.
3: yeah. And I mean, I've shared this theory that I have before that we're such a we're such a well-oiled machine and such a team uh, that you know when the spotlight's on an individual, it's it's sometimes quite difficult because that's not the way we normally play, you know. Um, so yeah, that's that's why that's why I think sometimes penalties are a bit nerve-wracking. I, I mean, it was funny, and especially when I, I think you on let me talk have been speaking with Nadim and uh, Sam about whether you want kind of notifications if you're watching slightly behind. Um, well, on WhatsApp, I was just like urgent to know whether we'd scored or not, even though, <laughs> you know, the Sky Go stream I was watching was two minutes behind. I didn't care. Just tell me, let me know. Uh, so it was brilliant to hear that we'd scored it. And I mean, for all the kind of patheticness that's going on with United at the minute, um, that Keno chant how, like that's absolutely despicable! What a bunch of losers! Like um, that's that's kind of the uh, you know a similar kind of idea to that petulance of standing in front of the free kick where you've got you've got nothing to do but just be petty and and, and horrible because what you're doing on the pitch and what, you're, what your team are achieving is nothing So, yeah. um, and you, you you don't wind Haaland up really when well, he gets fire in his belly he's unstoppable
1: the other one I was thinking were, were they not also singing like Haaland how's your dad to him yeah. and I, yeah. like, I just kind of feel like looking up at the director's box going he seems pretty happy to be honest. yeah <laughs> he's got,
2: got a bear in his hand and his son's one of the best footballers in the world I think yeah. he's doing alright
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, just, just on Harland in general, Dan. Um, he's still scoring uh, as you probably expect him to be. Uh, he's still missing some big chances, though, isn't he? The header, the one-on-one.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've sort of joked a bit, a bit on the podcast this season and, and with you guys as well that I. Don't rate Haaland I, I do rate him. Obviously, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not an idiot, but uh, he, he is frustrating me a little bit this season. Um, like you said, missing chances. I think his link-up play still leaves a lot to be desired. There's, there's some work to be done there. But you know, you just can't argue with his record, can you? And I think there might be a day coming soon when he starts scoring these missed chances as well. And he'll then God help anyone 18, else. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, someone. Uh, I, I can't remember where I read it, but someone called him overrated on something that I was reading this week. I think it was around the Ballon d'Or thing. And I think as an as an all-round footballer, maybe. You it's a little bit overrated, but he also scores nearly a goal a game. So, like, what what can you say about that, really?
1: Yeah. Um, the player that made City tick, though, Dan, I'm wondering, uh, is... Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a few choices from this game, but I don't think you can look past Bernardo Silva, can you? Um, he won player of the match. How, just how important is he at the minute to City?
2: Well, I think he's been a little bit quiet this season. I think this was him really getting back to his brilliant best. I haven't, you know, I can't remember an an awful lot of sort of standout moments or performances from him so far this season, but he was absolutely superb in this game. I think that role alongside Rodri in the middle suits him nicely, a bit of a deeper role, um, but it's it's also a bit of a free role where he can can buzz around, get involved in everything. He helps create those little overloads on the wings and presses, what was it Guardiola said, fucking intuitively. You know, Mm. he's just... He's just the best in the business at that, isn't he? Basically, and it doesn't take an awful lot to confuse this United side, obviously. But they were they were just totally befuddled by what Bernardo was doing. McTominay didn't know where he was coming or going. I think no one knew who he was supposed to be picking up and what was it five or six times. I think he overlapped Grealish and found himself in loads of space in the box. And you know, one goal came from that. Probably two goals should have come from it. So, yeah, it's really great to see him um, him performing like that. And hopefully, it'll uh, it'll kickstart a bit of a run for him now.
1: Yeah, there's uh, that that move City kept doing. Kieran was was a joy to watch, wasn't it? Guardiola into um, Bernardo, uh, Bernardo into Grealish, Grealish hold the ball, uh, Bernardo goes around the outside of him, and suddenly he's in. And you are just kind of like maybe maybe you want to do something about this, lads. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know.
3: Yeah, uh, I I don't know whether I had. Um... Had United read that kind of athletic article where it said that um, City attacking down the left isn't isn't so much of a thing this year, and maybe that's down to Guardiola. So they seem to just like not really pay much attention to the, to the left hand side, <laughs> uh, and everything good about City kind of came from that area. Um, Grealish, just I mean that. That kind of idea of him holding up the ball, we're you know for three years now we've been kind of wanting them to to run up players, and it's been quite clear that Pep doesn't want them to. Uh, that was that was it, it. Just kind of the the manifestation of uh, of a game plan. Uh Grealish, fruits, didn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Grealish just hold up, hold up, hold up. Um, let Bernardo do his thing. Nobody tracked him. Nobody followed him. Haaland just ghosted around the penalty area. I mean, I'm not the first one to say it, but like you're letting the best goal scorer in the game just kind of mosey about the box. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it just makes no sense. It, it, it was like watching lower league opposition at some point because they were just so clueless. But, it, I mean, if you are going to start Maguire and Evans, th- these are the kind of things, you, you know, you're going to kind of come up with. They're just, they were so poor. And that Amrabat, who is he? <laughs> um, to just, they just had absolutely Moroccan no athlete. idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they just had no idea how to deal with it. But it was the same thing tried over and over again. I mean, at least under Solskjaer, you sort of saw that they maybe had a, a bit of a game plan and they, they could pull a result out. They were just they were just headless chickens across the pitch. And it did, yeah, it bore fruit. And if, if Haaland maybe
1: had his head and head on, maybe, you know, it could have been even more of a massacre. Yeah. Um, Dan, you mentioned Rodri uh, alongside Bernardo. Um, I, I, having him back over the over the last few games has been big, but I just in terms of controlling the game at Old Trafford, um, I, I, it's easy to say that Bernardo is player of the match, but surely Rodri was in there with a shout as well.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just get that every game from Rodri. It's just not a surprise anymore, is it really? I think the, the way that he was sort of like following in um, behind the initial press was like really important as well, and
1: just made, United just couldn't get out because of that, could they?
2: Yeah, I mean it helped that Christian Eriksen just let him run past him all the time, just like the, the the lack of sort of tracking was just ridiculous. But you know, Rodri's just great at like pinning teams back like that and picking the passes, and you know, getting on the other of chances sometimes as well. Yeah, he's just a fantastic player. We we saw when we didn't have him what we, what we lacked without him, and um, when, when when he's in the team, we're just so much better.
1: Yeah, the other player who uh, might have won player of the match for me was John Stones. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about him now because if you've seen a John Stones touch map lately, then you'll have seen that it looks like a scatter graph that shows no correlation between the X and Y axes. For a conventional centre-back, that would be a little bit alarming, but for a centre-back at the top of his game in a Pep Guardiola system, it's anything but. And for Stones, the recent plaudits are a reward for his hard work to fight back into the team when it all looked over for him at City. We're going to spend the next few minutes celebrating the John Stones redemption story. John Stones signed for City on the 9th of August 2016 and he made his debut when he was named in Pep Guardiola's first starting lineup. just four days later. He was seen as the ideal Guardiola player but the athletic Sam Lee remembers that the general perception of him wasn't all positive. There was a bit of mistrust around him, I think. It was basically, well, he's a bit of a maverick, this kid. He overplays it a lot. Not really sure about that sort of thing in English football. This was also at a time when there was probably a little bit, and not majorly, but there was probably a little bit of, oh well, we'll see if Pep can cut it in England. It was for that reason that Stones took a lot of flack in that first season. City made a lot of mistakes and conceded avoidable goals, as Guardiola set about changing the team's style of play. Stones was seen as the embodiment of the problem. It came to a head after a one all draw with Liverpool, and the manager went into bats for his young
4: defender. Johnny Stones had more personality than all of us here in this room more balls than everyone here guys. So and I like that place. I love. With under pressure, the people criticize him, the people say well when he went there and play again and wanna play, when we talk, when we that." So I am delighted to have John with all his huge and amount of mistakes they have. I love you. City
1: improved in the final weeks of that season, but Stones ended up missing a lot of games through injury. Nevertheless, he came back after the summer and started really well, as Jack Gorn and Paul
5: Atherton explained on the podcast at that time. Stones has been far calmer this season, I think. He's improved massively under Guardiola, mm. which has kind of gone unnoticed, really. Stones is, is, is the player that we we thought he could be. You know, he, he always had the footballing ability. He's more certain his presence and winning headers. He's just making changes that he um, needs to make. But then
1: he got injured at Leicester and on the podcast after that game Jonathan Smith was frustrated.
3: It's a huge blow. It's looking like it's going to be five, six weeks from now and I think I don't think it's going to be until until the new year that he's back. But the, the thing is that I, they're
2: really reliant on and company. They have to keep those two fit.
1: His fitness was becoming a problem. After coming back from that hamstring issue he sustained at Leicester he suffered a head injury on international duty in the March and he missed the run-in. It was the same the following season. He started brilliantly, but an injury at Bournemouth again in the March meant that he only made cameo appearances as City went toe-to-toe with Liverpool to win the title. And it got worse the next season. As City's form took a downturn, Stones fell out of favour entirely. It culminated in him being available for the game at Spurs, but being left out of the squad in favour of youngster Eric Garcia. Sam Lee explains why. That was partly our private life as well, because he's... He's gone, he went through like a breakup with his girlfriend he had some kind of court, not court case or court appearance, but it was just a kind of like it was something related to like the separation from his partner Guardiola was like, let's let's give this kid some, some time away but also, he never really like gave up on stones publicly I, th- I think it's because he just thought I'm not sure he could handle this at the time when there was a lot going on otherwise as well Because that was around the League Cup final against Villa, which we've talked about. And he made that mistake when City were comfortable in the game and he made the mistake. And I remember thinking, that might
4: be his last game for City.
1: Not long after that, Guardiola was asked about Stones' future in light of Euro 2020 coming up at the end of that season.
4: I know it's not easy for him and I selected Eric because it's simple as that. He played really well, the games he played, really well. Of course I want, but not just John and all the Players can be selected for the national team, for the Euro. But of course, we think about every day, take decisions for tomorrow, for the day that today, not for, you know, for the future. It
1: was around that time that football was paused because of the pandemic. When it returned, Stones was again injured. In one of the early Project Restart press conferences, Guardiola was questioned about the defender's future again, specifically about a comment he'd made a few years previously that, as long as he was at the club, Stones would be too. Guardiola was asked if that was still the case.
4: I said many times, I continue to say, I'm more than delighted with Jonas Stones, as a person and as a professional and everything. So what I want is the best for him, but at the end of the season we're going to speak about what's going to happen because sometimes it's my wishes, it's not the wishes for the player or wishes for other situations for the club. The rumours
1: were that Stones was close to moving to Newcastle. Here he is speaking ahead of last season's Champions League final reflecting on summer 2020 and the aftermath of being left out of that Champions League quarter-final tie with Lyon.
8: Probably one of the hardest times in my career, I literally went back to firstly looking at myself, being super critical of myself and what I could do and better on a football pitch and then looking into every fine detail down to food, what food, training what training, what extras, big learning curve for me and, and, and made me kind of who I am now so today. So
4: you think you were going to be living? So I,
8: mean, I never thought like that, no, I never thought. I think as soon as you accept that or have that mindset, then it, you've, you've, you've killed yourself. And I wanted to prove to myself, no, not to anyone, in anything you have to prove to yourself first and foremost that you deserve to be here, you're good enough to be here, and... What, what, what you bring to the team.
1: That strength of will would pay off big time for Stones in the next couple of seasons. The arrival of Ruben Diaz that summer would spark the start of a partnership that would be the bedrock of City's run to the Champions League final. Stones started the season out of the team, but when his chance came to nail down a place, he did exactly that. Jack Gorn and Dan Burke were impressed on the podcast in the winter of 2021. The impressive thing about them both is
3: that the, the covering and it's the understanding so when stones gets done diaz is there and when and diaz has got done a couple of times over the last few weeks then stones is there and they protect each other um and you can tell you could tell at the end of the game when they embraced
1: each other and they you know it's another it's another clean sheet for the collection there is that that bond
2: they've been i mean diaz has been incredible stones has done has done really well to to get back you know i, I don't even know you'd say sort of get back to to what he was used to be, be like because i think this is probably the best he's ever played at city isn't it and he looks so confident he looks you know he, he didn't put a foot wrong against against chelsea or united
1: stones had played his way back into being first choice but the following season had the potential to be a bit same old story for him he missed the start of the campaign after arriving back late because of making the Euros final with England and when the run-in came around, he was injured again. He'd had to go off during the first leg of the semi-final defeat to Real Madrid. He'd get the chance, though, to put all that right the next season as Guardiola built his treble-winning team around a brand new role for Stones. Here's how the defender himself feels about
8: his new job. I did and still do love playing as a centre-half and, but I've, I've absolutely loved this role as well. You know, being in there, and I think I've proved, I've shown myself that I'm able to do it, um, and maybe shown some attributes that I didn't know that I had, but the manager has seen in me.
1: On the pre-season tour earlier this year, Stones was asked what it's like to be a centre-back in a Guardiola team.
8: You've heard me say demanding so many times, which I love. He expects a lot from us as, as center halves to start play, or from our build-up, and rewarding as well. When, when you see it come off and when you train it over and over and over, and, and what he wants from you, and then how he, you see it play out, and we create chances from our own goal kick, however we play. And after last season, yeah, definitely rewarding.
1: And how does Stones think he's improved in his new role?
8: The biggest thing, and, and one of the most difficult things, and sometimes you, like for me, I haven't got that 360 vision, and I feel more now that I, I do, but that's from learning where to receive the ball, how to receive the ball in certain situations to give me that comfort of of knowing what's kind of in my surroundings. That was one of the things at the start where I was playing a little bit more safe or in a situation where the ball was coming maybe quick or in a tight area. I wasn't looking to turn out because, you know, nine out of ten times, I'd probably lose the ball. But then learning how to receive it, you know, my body shape, timing of move him to get to receive the ball, all little things like that, I had to kind of mould and and learn and, and watch myself back quite a bit.
1: And as a result of all that, Stones hasn't looked back. Without him doing that job, City wouldn't have been so dominant in big matches against the likes of Bayern Munich, Real Madrid or Inter Milan last season, and they certainly wouldn't have performed like they did at Old Trafford at the weekend. After fighting back into the team in 2020, he's been incredible for City in whatever role he's been given. Right now, this is John Stones' world, and we're all just living in it.
3: Hi, this is Kevin Horlock, and you are listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
0: If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So that was a look at uh, where John Stones has come from uh, in recent years. Uh, Kieran, what did you make of his performance at at Old Trafford at Weekend?
3: Oh, absolutely class. I absolutely adore the man. (laughs) Um, He is just such a rock for City. And he's been brilliant since he signed. And it's interesting in in the feature that you did there, like um, the ups and downs he had in his career that you kind of forget about now because what he's achieved in the past two or three seasons has just eclipsed everything. He was always brilliant and he always had potential, but injuries held him back Um personal issues held him back. Uh, and then of course, like Laporte coming in um, Laporte was so, you know, was so kind of um, reliable, you know, for, for the majority of his city career and uh, stones really, really had to fight. And, he, you know, he's been linked. He's been linked with moves away And just why would you ever want him to leave? He's just the perfect pet player. And on Sunday, he was just, I mean, wasn't, I know Mason Mount only played the second half, but he had like 14 touches or something. And as you said, like Johnstone's touch map is just, he's all over the pitch Um, and always contributing and always kind of like, how can you be so crucial in defence and at the back and mopping everything up? and in the right place at the right time but also knitting together in the midfield but also kind of helping an attack um he's just he's just everything um a a a massive massive player
1: um and yeah I love him yeah, um, this is a, I, I guess this is a little bit of a cheeky question, Dan. But thirty players were nominated for the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> uh, John Stones wasn't one of them, and I, like maybe I'm being silly, maybe I'm not. But like, how can you watch City last season and not see that Stones was such an integral part to a team that went on to win the treble? Like, it, it just it just feels like he should have been nominated at least. Yeah.
2: Right? I mean, what you got to remember about the Ballon d'Or is it's not really for people who like or even understand football. It's you know, it, it, it's like the, the Met Gala or something for lads who, I don't know, still sleep in a bunk bed with a little brother. You know, it's just like bullshit, isn't it? It's just complete nonsense. Like, you know, I don't think Messi should have won it. I think Haaland deserved it for what he did last season. I think... Stones definitely should have been in, in the top twenty um at least as well, but you know that's just how it is. And yeah, he, he was outstanding last season. His performance in the Champions League final will, will sort of live long in the memory for me. I'll just I, yeah, I remember where I was in the ground, wasn't sat, sat among City fans, and people were like gasping at stuff that John Stones was doing in that game. He was absolutely outrageous, and um he just is out, an outrageous player. And we, we've really seen that in the last couple of games. It's um, It's, it's been a real reminder because I think we've got a few players who, who can sort of play that hybrid centre back midfield role. You know, Akanji's done it a bit this season. Ake's done it a bit this season, but none of them do it quite like Johnny Boulders, do they? And he's just, he's just awesome. I love him as well. You know, there's been some talk this week that he, um, is going to be offered a new contract until 2027. And I'm sort of thinking, is that it? Like, give him as long as he wants. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. It'd be great if him and, him and Pep could do 10 years at City together. That would be wonderful. And, you know, Stones' his career, as you said, City, it's not always been plain sailing. It's had its ups and downs, but the last two or three years, it's just been awesome and I love him and I think we've definitely got our money's worth from that 50 million quid, haven't we? Yeah,
1: exactly that.
0: Get a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
1: Right. Well, it's time now to have a look ahead to the games with Bournemouth and Young Boys. Let's bring in Sam from the Bournemouth podcast back in the net. Hi, Sam. Hi, how are you doing? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. How are things uh, on the uh, on the South Coast? First Premier League win of the season against Burnley
6: last week. So uh, kicking on from there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, did we need that because uh, under a new manager, we are playing a different style of football. I think the players have been slowly learning it. And uh, whilst we we're up on points on the equivalent games last season, I think we've wanted more so to get that win was, was ultra important but uh, no dramas only City next and then Newcastle <laughs> after that so it should be fine
1: Yeah I was going to say of, of all the teams you could play next probably not the ideal one is the one that you've never beaten in your entire history That's uh, that, that's a tough one isn't it? <laughs>
6: Yeah, very much so. Look, I mean, um, I think it's more about the performance in the uh, in the Carabao Cup this week. It was a close game against Liverpool, but it's the performance that fans are looking to really. Uh, we, we we start the season really well with six good performances where we were taking points here and there. And we saw glimpses of the sort of organised chaos that Doni Iriola wants to deploy at Bournemouth. However, in the games uh, that we've had recently, especially against Wolverhampton Wanderers, Everton, etc., it hasn't been particularly great. But against Burnley, we saw glimpses. So as long as we see more of that somehow when we do get the ball against Manchester City, which I'm assuming is not going to be a lot, <laughs> then I think fans would probably go home happy. And if we keep it under three maybe we're all right i don't know we'll have to see <laughs> yeah
1: karen for for city when you look at um kind of how the last few weeks have gone and then you know coming back from um from the international break you you know you get the derby win as well um given that you look at the fixture list after the bournemouth game it's chelsea liverpool spurs it's kind of like you, you, you kind of can't drop the ball here now you've got to, you've got to put a bit of a run together haven't you
3: yeah i think so and given the success of uh, the, the derby game um and the the big win over united i think it's um sorry sam but i think bournemouth's probably uh, a quite a nice fixture for us to kind of uh, gather a, a bit of a head of steam ahead of uh, quite a tricky few fixtures coming up
1: yeah dan when you when you look at uh, the kind of like the, the wider context to city's uh, recent run as well it feels like they've kind of feels like they they've got over the funk a little bit doesn't it <laughs> Yeah,
2: definitely in the last couple of games. I mean, it, it was quite a, uh, a short funk. Thankfully, I, I don't think there was, there was too much to be sort of overly concerned about. I think it came down to, uh, missing players, you know, Rodri and Stones being, being the main ones and an unlucky defeat at Arsenal, really. It's only really that sort of Wolves game that I think was, uh, was the sort of unexpected disappointing outlier in, in that, that run of games. So look like they're back on track now. I still don't think the performances are sort of 100%, uh, brilliant, but we're definitely getting there and, you know the the Bournemouth game coming up this week. I think City don't tend to take these games lightly. I think Pep knows how important it is to get your points on the board against the lesser sides, and and they're probably the the points that that win your titles overall more than the games against your rivals. Sometimes, so I would I would expect us to approach this um, really professionally pick our, our best team, put our best foot forward and, and try and win.
1: Sam, for for Bournemouth, I mean, um, Dan's mentioned uh, City's game against Wolves there, um, and a lot was made of, of Gary O'Neill sacking from outside um, of Bournemouth and, and kind of the, the narrative around that. What, what did fans think over the summer?
6: It's a real difficult one because Gary O'Neill. I think he was a he was a manager for the for the there and then. He managed to get the job done, and I think most Bournemouth fans were were pleased with the fact that he got it done. Uh, under him, we actually. I mean, when Scott Parker was sacked after that 9-0 against Liverpool, we were sixteenth in the league. Gary O'Neill actually had a number of games and took us down to twentieth. So we weren't unbelievable. Um, and in January, we. We reinforced, we got a number of new players in, which which certainly helped him then kick on in February a little bit. But it was, it was the month of April, really, where we managed to sort of turn things around. And a lot of the media pundits regard it as this kind of miracle that he did. I don't think so, because we spent a lot of money, but the football along the way wasn't... Particularly great either, so I think fans were were looking for something else, despite being thankful for him keeping us up. And Andoni Iraola plays this brand of football that I think for the for the recruitment team at AFC Bournemouth, it makes it easier to recruit for all because you've got an identity and a style. Whereas under Gary O'Neill, we didn't really know what that style is it's it's just so typical that he you know performs these miracle results this season uh and a lot of fans especially with um how poor our start was were thinking actually have we made the right call here I think in the long run we probably have however he's a very pragmatic manager that I think will uh serve Wolves well and look we we certainly wish him well so um yeah he's he is uh left in court with the best wishes of all Bournemouth fans
1: yeah, you called it organised chaos that Areola plays. Um, what's
6: what's it been like the start of this season? Uh, yeah, it's been interesting. He, um, he sort of likes to play with really high full-backs. And uh, yeah, l- I know that most forward-thinking clubs play that. But whether we've got the personnel to do that, I- I'm not too sure. But he wants to deploy it. Um, High press, high turnovers, trying to win the ball back in the opposition's final third, and we've seen elements of that this season. But with that, also comes some defensive frailties as well. Now we're struggling at defending set pieces at the moment, which is not particularly great. But I think it's a return to the Eddie Howe style of football, actually, that Bournemouth fans were, you know, delighted to be witnessing over the course of sort of ten years when he was in charge. So it's um it's a brand of football that we like, but at the moment it's not been producing. The results that we want. I think the players that we've uh, had available to us at the start of the season, due to injuries, has meant that we've had to rely on a lot of the players who played last season, who didn't really know the style. But now, with players coming back, for instance, Alex Scott in centre midfield, who a lot of people are saying that he's going to be an England player in two years. He's he's that good on the ball. I think having players like him back, Tyler Adams, when he comes back eventually, I think uh, will really benefit his style. So it's been a, it, it has been a tough start, but um, you know. Maybe aside from the matches against the sort of, you know, big six, I'm really hoping that we can now start to impress our style on the other sort of 13, 14.
1: Yeah. Um, for City, Kieran, um, obviously, it's, it, it's uh, we mentioned the run that's coming up. There's, uh, there's young boys in, in midweek as well. Um, how do you think Guardiola should manage the the squad over these two games? Because obviously he can't, he can't just pick the, the same team for both. But then again, you know, we're sat here talking about whether we want Foden, Alvarez, Doku as like the attacking options. I, I mean, I, sorry, Sam, it does sound like we've got an embarrassment of riches. And I, like, I, I do, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I do take that point. Um, but what, what would you like to see, Kieran, at uh, weekend? Um, it's a weird one because
3: there's there's sort of no point ever trying to predict what Guardiola is going to do. And, um, you know, especially with a run coming up where you think, right, we need players rested. The young boys game is fairly academic because it looks as if we only need like a, a point to qualify from that. Um, so you would like to see maybe um, a few players getting rested, a few players maybe getting played into form. Um, but... No one Pepe will just go with the exact same team as United uh, for, <laughs> for, for both fixtures. Um, and n- nothing that we kind of uh, expect to see or want to see will kind of come from it. It would be nice to see, it would be nice to see Daki getting a run out again, just because w- we know, um, we know the kind of impact that he can have. And uh, we know that he kind of like strikes fear into, um into defences uh, and he's just he's just an exciting new signing who's who seems to be playing his way really into form and uh, every time he's on the pitch it's just you know he's one of those players who gets you off your seats
1: uh, as it were. Yeah Dan I wonder if Doku will play on the basis that he barely played against United and Guardiola's talked a lot recently about uh, players who join City not having the experience of having two games a week.
2: Yeah. And I think Guardiola is quite keen to get, get him on the pitch where possible at the moment, because I think Guardiola is quite excited by him as well. And um, rightly so. And, you know, it's probably not going to be one of those games where we're going to need an abundance of control. You know, it's probably better suited to Doku to let him have a run at the full back. And um, it'd be interesting to see if he goes on the on the left and, and Grealish drops out or maybe maybe Foden has a rest and he, and he goes on the right. I think if, the, if there's going to be sort of wholesale changes... And a bit of rotation. I'd probably rather that comes against young boys in midweek, because I think that's a that's a game we can probably afford to drop points in and, and probably, you know, would, would win even with a with a rotated team. So I'd like us to um yeah, put put a really strong team out for this this Bournemouth game because I know that uh you know the, the odds are stacked against Bournemouth here, but one thing I know about Andoni Ar- Iraola was that he had a really great track record in Spain against the big team. So I'm sure he's gonna have um, have a plan here. But uh, you know, I think overall City's quality should shine through.
1: Yeah, Sam. What, what do you think the game plan will be for for this one? Um, because I mean, it, it, it's very easy. We see a lot of teams uh, come to the Etihad, sit deep, and try and cut out the spaces. But in the last few years, there's been a few managers of uh, teams outside the top six who have who have tried to to kind of press City a bit high and try to really make life difficult for them in the build up. Is that something you can see Areola doing?
6: I'm not sure we're capable of doing that, to be honest. I think uh, we'll have to use our strengths, and that is to attack. But um, that does mean we will get found out. So it's got to be a really nice blend of. Um, I mean, we've got to be pragmatic, at, you know, at times. But then, you know, release players forward when we can. I don't think it's going to be a sort of sit back style. Um, I, you know, I do think we can, you know, transition well and you know get up the pitch and at least give you a game. But the thing is, you know, technical quality and ruthlessness will win the game, and you've got that in abundance on in our midweek Carabao Cup game. We had we had a load of chances against Liverpool, and in the final third, we just weren't clinical enough. So, if clinicality is a word, it is now, and that's what we need. So, um, we're, you know, and it is one of these things where. I think you need to have an off day, and we need to have uh, a good day, but also a bit of luck as well. But as long as we work hard, and uh, yeah, you know, we give it a good game. I think most Bournemouth fans would leave happy.
1: Yeah, well, let's let's put you in your dream scenario now. Let's say you come away with the Etihad, uh from the Etihad uh, with with something, three points, one point, whatever it is. Um, who are the players that would do it for you?
6: Uh, I think Dom Solanke is probably one of the first names on people's lips as a as a player that whose style is you know, it's pivotal. The way we play is is built around him. Also, Philip Billing as well, uh, who plays in the sort of number 10 role, although he might be a bit deeper for this one. Alex Scott as well, who's a, who's a young player on number 14, really good on the ball. Uh, you know, I think um, Man City fans probably caught a glimpse of him when you played them in the Carabao Cup recently as well. He, he put in a really good shift uh, for them, I think, last season or, or season before last. But Elsewhere, we've got a number of, um, you know, highly attacking fullbacks, by the way, of Max Aarons, higher rated uh, player that was w- once linked with Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And on the other side, Milos Kirkes, who um, a number of years ago, he, he was nominated for the Golden Boy. He's like Hungarians, uh, sorry, Hungary's best prospect after sort of, uh, you know, Sobers' Live for Liverpool. So, yeah, we've got some talent. It's all about just moulding it together. And that's what Andoni Arayao is trying to do at the moment. So... Yeah, we could surprise. I, I doubt it, though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Dan, uh, Kieran said before about uh, getting players uh, into form as well. Um, the, other, the, the two I thought of with that is, uh, is maybe Kovacic and Nunes as well, because th- like you say, this, this is one of those games where uh, maybe Guardiola doesn't kind of want to impose th- so much control on the, on the centre. It may be a, ni- maybe a nice opportunity for one or both of them to, to get a bit of form. Yeah,
2: possibly. Um, I mean, Kovacic has seemed to have fallen out of favour a little bit in recent weeks after a uh, a good start to the season. I think the, the game against Arsenal when he was a little bit of a liability has, has perhaps made Pep uh, rethink his his sort of role a little bit. But, um, you know, obviously Rodri coming back and the form of Bernardo Silva and John Stones being back as well, I think, has, has influenced the, the midfield selection. So, yeah, I, I would I would maybe expect one or one but not both of, of Kovacic or Nunez to start. I've not been hugely impressed by what I've seen from Nunez recently. Um, I think he needs a big moment or something like that um, to, to sort of kickstart his City career a little bit. He seems a little bit kind of shy and uh, in his shell at the moment, I think. And, uh, you know, maybe, a, maybe a, a goal against Bournemouth at the weekend or something like that would uh, would really get him going.
1: Yeah, um, Kieran. The other the other question that I kind of wonder about because the, like the rest of the team, like you say, is is really hard to to predict what Guardiola will do. Um, but I'm a, a player that that Bournemouth fans will know quite well in Nathan Ake. Um, I'm kind of a little bit worried that he's going to lose out this season because Guardiola's come in and done really really well. And this feels like one of those games where you, where it, it, it's almost like like Ake needs to be given some time on the pitch because of of just just for everything he achieved with City last season.
3: Yeah, and it's a bit unfortunate that his kind of last action on the pitch was that deflected goal that Arsenal scored that, that bounced in off his fodd. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's sad when new signings come in and they're they're so hugely talented and they have to be bedded in. And somebody who is already hugely talented and has done great things for us and has not really put a foot wrong. Um, it's sad when they're when they're left out. Um, these could be two good games back-to-back to give to Ake. Um, however, d- does that mean you take Gouardie all out when he, when he's playing so well and he's kind of like holding down that sort of, um, that role on the left? Uh, it would be nice to see Ake maybe maybe in the centre, but then who misses out that way too? It is, it's it's, it's very difficult to, um, somebody's always going to miss out on this kind of heavily rotated team. And, and I just, I feel sorry for Ake because he's, He's never really done anything particularly wrong. And I've always rated him very highly. Um, it'd be nice to see him against his old club as well. I'm sure he'd relish the uh, the opportunity. So um, just I, I guess it's just see how Pep changes it up and rotates it and how he feels on the day.
1: Yeah. Um, Sam, you, you mentioned before as well um, that you, you have a bit of a problem with set pieces this season. Is that is that the biggest weakness? Has there been other, other areas of the team that you're a little bit worried about coming into this one?
6: Yeah, set-piece, defending, also just individual mistakes. I mean, we dropped points based on three individual mistakes, three, maybe four in separate games that, you know, we'd have either got draws or wins from, you know, a match against Brentford. It was a a last-minute howler from Milos Kerkhez. He just misread the timing of a ball, and then uh, Embuemo went into to equalise for them. But there have been numerous moments of that. But yeah, set-piece delivery, um, corners, Uh, also free kicks as well but I think a lot of that was down to our keeper Neto that's actually been dropped although the club have I don't know a lot of us are fairly cynical but uh, they say he's got an ankle injury but we're not so sure yeah, a very um, convenient ankle injury. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right, and his you know his confidence seemed to be at a at quite a low. So we've got the Romanian Radu in who's been playing for Inter Milan previously, etc. Which it, it's it's mad. All these players, by the way, that Bournemouth uh, like have now got that have played for like these big clubs like Barcelona, Inter. Milan. <laughs> we're Bournemouth, like we know who we are. <laughs> it's absolutely mad, and you know to be playing. Yeah, you know what? I, I remember in 1998 we were playing you at Dean Court, and it was nil nil. so i think that's probably the last point i remember us actually uh you know taking off you but um in those days we were probably a bit more resilient with our set piece defending not not so much now really i think you know fire the balls into the box and our defenders it's a it's a relatively new back four that's been put together so if you if you put the balls on like Harlan's head which you probably find in 100 of games anyway they'll probably end up in the back of the net so yeah it's going to be a real test for us i think in many ways it's It's more of a training drill for us, really. Just, you know, like, see what we can do, try some different things out, see what works. If we keep the score under four or five, then bonus. Yeah.
1: I don't know if you know this, but uh, that nil-nil at Dean Court in in 98, 99, has gone down in – it goes down in City Folklore for one of the two red cards that we had on that day. Yes. Um, Yeah, yeah, Kevin Horlock was sent off for uh, walking aggressively towards the Hmm. referee. (laughs) oh i love that yeah those were the days uh sam we've got the charity back coming up a bit later on um let's let's have a score prediction from you for it
6: right i could do heart but there's no point in doing that with this one so look i'm gonna say Manchester city are probably gonna roll out three one winners that's right we're gonna score a goal so yeah <laughs> three, one to three one to man city
1: lovely stuff we'll get that on there for you a bit later on uh but for now sam from back of the net thank you very much for joining us today thanks for having me Sam, from back of the net there. Um, Kieran, we've talked a little bit about the Young Boys game as well. Um, You said before that, uh, you know, City are are pretty much almost there. A win definitely sees City through. A point should do it. Uh, Must be confident now at this stage. Yeah,
3: it's hard in
1: this current kind of
3: City setup to not be confident during the Champions League uh, group stages, at least. Um, I think we've... I think we've kind of walked through um, this stage in, in previous seasons recently, and uh, it looks as if this season is going to be no different. Um, a, a quite a nice group that we got, um, and we, the performance in Switzerland um, <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, yeah, it was pretty impressive. So um, I imagine you just get the feeling that you're starting to purr, um, and I think they will understand the importance of getting. Well, three points on the board, maybe a point on the board uh, in this fixture, and then realizing that we've got sort of two dead rubbers, um, in a tricky sort of part of the season, um, with tricky fixtures coming up. But you know, it's getting it's getting a bit colder and damper, and it, it it's sort of starts to get a bit more difficult out there. Um, so it would be nice to it would be nice to kind of put the Champions League on the on the shelf, as it were, uh, and concentrate on the league. So. Yeah, getting getting a result against young boys could be uh, could be crucial just with the kind of forward planning for what's coming up uh, in the near future.
1: Yeah, I mean, that said, though, Dan, um, I, I'm a bit on the fence about this because I like the idea of having a couple of dead rubbers in uh, the Champions League when the fixtures in the Premier League get quite tough. Um, but at the same time, you look at the end of the season, when City are in that, you know, we have to win or win and there's no other option like that's when they really start to perform and perform well and I'm like if you're in the if you're at the back end of the Champions League and um and you've got a couple of dead rubbers there maybe there's maybe those games are where City start to lose rhythm a little bit I don't know yeah
2: I mean there's really no such thing as a dead rubber as far as Guardiola's concerned is there? he tends to pick a strong team whatever you, whoever we play him, whatever the circumstances are really and you know, you, you think by the, the time that the Red Star game comes around that everything's all done, we've we've won the group and it's literally, you know, a pointless game. But you would imagine that Pep would still play a strong team, whereas I would just pick the under-9s for something like that or something. But, you know, <laughs> he, he, just, he just doesn't do that. I th- and I think rhythm is really important to him. And I think, yeah, obviously we want to win the group ideally and the timing of the... Uh, Leipzig game looks a little bit annoying on paper, given that it comes between the Liverpool and Spurs game. But like you say, rhythm like it might be good for us to just keep, you know, three th- a game every three days. Keep churning them out. Keep keep turning up. Keep you know picking picking strong teams, and that's how we sort of build this run that we that we tend to go on at this, this time of year.
1: Yeah, well it's charity bat time now and uh, nobody got a correct score on the Manchester Derby so we're still on £355 raised so far for this season. Uh, The winnings are going to the Man City fans food bank Support Group. They'll be outside the Etihad on Saturday again under the bridge near Asda between 12.30 and 2.30 so go and see them with a donation if you can. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles and City have two games this week. Um, We'll start with uh, Sam's prediction. Uh, He went for 3-1 which is 11 to one and £110 if he's right. Dan, what are you having for Bournemouth?
2: Uh, 4-0 City, I reckon.
1: 4-0 City is 15 to 2 and £75, if you're right. Kieran? I'm going for 5-0 to City. Uh, 5-0 to City is 12 to one and £120, if you're right. Uh, that brings us on to Young Boys in Midweek. Dan, what are
2: you having? I'll go 3-0 for that one.
1: 3-0 is uh, an alarmingly short 9 to 2 <laughs> uh, 45 quid if you're right. Um, still better than nothing. Uh, I've gone for 3-1, uh, 12 to one and £120. Kieran, what are you having?
3: Well, I'd gone for 3-0,
1: but it turns out Dan Burke had stolen that, so I'm going 4-1. Uh, yeah, you've got to be quick off the uh, off the mark, I'm afraid. 4-1 yeah. is 16-1 uh, to one and £160, if you are right. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for information on how to gamble responsibly, then take a look at begambleaware.org. And that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one. Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blue. And Dan Burke. My pleasure. I'll be back next week. See you then.
0: That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's.
7: Because I was so, like, obsessed with City, everyone called me City Girl. So I went to this game dressed as a what would have been a City version of a superhero. So I had a flag as a cape. <laughs> I had like an eye mask, which was blue. And ma- my dad went as what he looked like the last time City had won the league title. He had this like mad black Afro and like ridiculous mustache, etc. The mad thing was that on the way to the game, I was driving and I got my first and only speeding ticket going down the Princess Parkway. Yeah. And uh, the mad thing about it was that I was in fancy dress. <laughs> so I didn't know at the time either. So two weeks later, when I got the the, the message through saying, like, you've got a speeding ticket, go online to see the photograph of it. There's me- a picture of me and my dad in fancy dress, driving down the Princess Parkway with massive grins on our faces because we're <laughs> going to go and watch City win the league for the first time. Another crazy thing about it was that after we'd lost 1-0 at Arsenal, I, in some mad leap of faith, put a bet on City to win the league. So... In that single like that's that single day I got a speeding ticket, but Aguero paid for it, thankfully, with my with the bet winnings from my bet.
0: You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode.